Thank you, guys. Don't the young people do such a good job leading us? We are really blessed. You know, one of the main reasons we started Heritage was to have an impact on the next generation, to pass down that faith to them and to see them up here leading. And um, I really love that. Hope you got your Bibles with you. If you do, you can grab it and turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm excited for all the young people. And they already listened to me preach. So, they, you know, they are running off to do whatever is next. But uh, I remember, you know, what it was like to graduate from high school. I remember how excited you are and all the opportunities that were ahead of you and things like that. Uh, I didn't graduate with all those letters behind my name or anything like that from high school. <laughs> Why are you laughing so loud? <laughs> um, you, <laughs> you know, but they're really an incredibly intelligent people over here that are graduating. I, I can't wait to see what God does with them. And I hope that um, their time with the Heritage family is, has played a huge role in, in building them up and molding them into the people that they are. Um, you know, not a lot of churches do young people get the opportunity to come up here and lead like they, like they do. And um, so I'm, I'm excited. I'm proud. I'm proud to be a part of this church family. You know, one of the things when you graduate, people always want to ask you, like, what's next? You know, they want to say, what's next? What's he doing? You know, and that's really exciting if you know what you want to do in your life because you get to tell them. And when you have no idea, that's a really terrible question you know, everybody wants to come up to you and ask, and you're like, I don't know. I'm just more anxious now than I were before you asked me that. <laughs> and, and they just keep asking all the time. And so one of the things that we talk about growing up in the church is, well, one of the things that will be next, hopefully, is to do whatever God's will is for my life, right? Amen? I mean, that would be the best thing, to be able to discern and decide what it is that He has designed me to do and then do that thing. And we're going to read some verses today that will hopefully be familiar to you that, that talks about that, that we will be able to know what God's will is. I mean, it sounds kind of like, yeah, well, whatever God's will is, like if anyone could ever know what that is, you know, he's God. He's will. But, but it, the Bible says we can know what God's will is for our life, and, and we can then set out to do that thing. And so um, I'll read with you really quickly just two verses here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans is a, one of the most important books in all the Bible, in my opinion. And, and for 11 chapters, Paul has been just expounding on doctrine and telling all of this knowledge and all these great things about who God is and what He's done and, and how He has accomplished all this stuff on our behalf. And then he gets to chapter 12, and it's like the turning point. He says, based on all this stuff I've been saying, now this is how we live it out. This is the, the application part, the practical stuff, which is great because we want to know. Know, right? I mean, we want to know based on all the knowledge that we have about Jesus and, and who he is and, and his death on the cross and resurrection. Well, what does that look like for me now as a Christian? How should I live? And that's what Paul gets to for the rest of Romans, starting in chapter 12. So read with me in verse 1. He says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Can we pray just quickly? Father, um, as we open up your word, I pray that you would make it clear to us, help us to understand it correctly so that we could apply it to our lives powerfully. We thank you for... 
uh, not leaving us in the dark, but giving us these instructions. Give us the courage to be obedient to you. Help us to seek out your will for our lives. Amen. Um, we're going to go quickly today, if that's all right, okay? But we're going to take these two verses one at a time, and we're going to dive into them. And so read with me there in your Bible. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Appeal. He, he is urging, he is begging of the Romans to, to do what he's asking them. I think it's important that Paul is not commanding them. You see, this must be the decision of the Romans. This must be our individual decision, that we would surrender to God and it would be completely willing. God is not making you surrender to Him, but He is urging you based on all that He has accomplished on your behalf that you would surrender your life to Him. But it has to be completely willing. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers. This is one of my favorite words that Paul uses because it shows his humility, doesn't it? That he is connecting with these people on their level. He's saying, we're equal, we're brothers. I am the Apostle Paul, right? I've met Jesus face to face, the resurrected Jesus. He has revealed things to me that no one else has gotten to hear. But he's not bragging about these things, that this incredible role that he got to play in writing the Bible. He said, no, 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 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. We are on the same level. And what does he say here? This, this phrase, by the mercies of God, this is really important because this is the motive. This is the reason for living out this way, by the mercies of God. And he's talking about, and when he says, therefore, by the mercies of God, therefore, a pastor a long time ago, I heard when I was a little kid, he said, whenever we see the word therefore in the Bible, we got to look and see what it's there for, Right. And therefore, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, based on everything I've been saying for the first 11 chapters, that's what Paul is saying, based on all of this doctrine that I've been spilling out for you, the whole doctrine part of the book, it's the doctrine of the fall. Romans chapter 1, made, man made in God's image, falling and sinning against God. Why? Because they worship the creation rather than the creator. That they are condemned, they cannot save themselves but then comes chapter 3, right? Those incredible two words, but now. And we learn about justification by faith alone. Paul continues telling them that they were dead in Adam, but now they are alive in Christ. And he doesn't stop there. He goes further to say in chapter 8, he says, Now you have been adopted to sonship by God the Father, the Creator. It's an unbelievable book. And he's saying all of this... Therefore, by the mercies of God, all of these things, this is now why we live the Christian life. When we understand our own personal dire situation, that we are on our way to eternity without God, but then we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, from that moment on, everything changes. Everything is different. Our entire life ought to change from that moment on. One of my favorite singers, Taylor Swift, she has a song called Everything Has Changed. And she's, she, you know that song, Everything Has Changed? I just want to know, you better know. No one's singing with me. And that's live, too, on Facebook. That's terrible. She's, she has this song. She's talking about this boy she's met. And, and the boy that she has met is so incredible that from this moment on, everything in her life has changed, right? And she says this. She says, all I know is we said hello. Your eyes look like coming home. All I know is a simple name and everything has changed. This is the first day she's met the guy because all she knows is his name. But apparently he is such an incredible fella 
that everything in her life is now going to be different from this day on. Now, what's really funny, and it's so fitting, at that end of the song, she changes the lyric to the chorus, and listen to this. She says, All I know is a newfound grace. All my days I'll know your face. All I know since yesterday is everything has changed. That could be a gospel lyric, couldn't it? I'm telling you, and that's what Paul is saying here, by the mercies of God, based on all of this stuff that God has done for us, from this day on, everything is different. Because of all of this, in light of all of this, because of what he's done. And the only logical response that we have is to offer everything to God. To lay our life on the altar. And that's our first point for today. I want you to write it down. Number one, offer your entire self to God if I could tell a young person who is graduating and leaving to go anywhere, I would say, number one, offer your entire self to God before you decide anything else. Decide, commit to offer your entire self to God. Paul tells him, he says, present yourself as a sacrifice. Now, the first century people here, they knew way more about animal sacrifices than we know. We don't do this anymore. But these people, they understood the imagery of, of a living sacrifice. They had stood by and watched their animal, right, be slaughtered and then burned in an act of worship to whoever their God was at that time. They understood. And for Paul to say, no, 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 I want you to offer yourself as a sacrifice, they would get their attention much more than it does. We kind of just read right past that. But he says, present yourself as a sacrifice to God. This is not the first time Paul has said something like this, even in his letter to the Romans. This echoes what he said in chapter 6, verse 13, where he said, Do not present your members, your body parts, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He continues in verse 19 of chapter 6. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. There is a difference. This is the way we used to live. This is the way we're now going to live. This is the way we used to do things with our bodies. This is the way we're going to now outward live with our bodies. It's not just in our minds and our emotions. It is a physical laying down our lives to God. He says living sacrifice. This word living reminds us of what God has made us. Paul wrote about it also in Romans 6 and verse 11 when he says, So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We are dead to sin. Dead. We are alive to God in Christ. Therefore, the sacrifice of ourself is a living sacrifice. This very verse condemns the thought of continuing on with sin once we've been saved, doesn't it? I mean, I think sometimes we like to say, well, I'm saved, but you know, I'm never going to be perfect, so, you know, just keep messing up. No. Are we perfectly glorified yet? No. But how can someone who is dead to sin continue to live in it on a continual basis? No. Paul also said to the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? When you become a Christian, everything has changed. The Holy Spirit of God enters, dwells in, lives with you in your heart. You are not of your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul is encouraging us to look at our entire Christian life as acts of worship. It's not just what is done on Sunday morning, okay, in a church building that ascribes worth to God. 
but what God and the world sees in us all week long. That's our worship. That's our true spiritual act of worship. It's our thought life. It's our motives, those reasons behind what we do, what we do. It's our choices. It's how we take care of our bodies. It's our attitudes towards one another. All of these things are true spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, he continues, Do not be conformed to this world, which is fading away, by the way, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. There it is. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's point number two. Do not be conformed. The definition for the word conformity is a type of social influence involving a change in belief or behavior in order to fit in with a group. Anybody know anyone like that? You ever seen a picture of a chameleon that kind of fits in with, with uh, you know, no matter what kind of environment they are in? It's annoying to be around people like that if you're around them in more than one of the two groups that they're in, right? Because they're like this in one group and then they're like that in another group and you can't keep up with who they are. Their personality, their choices... Their attitude, everything changes based on the situation that they are in or the group of people that they're around. Paul's not talking about here being all things to all people like he encourages us to be for the sake of being a good evangelist. He's talking about the purpose of Christianity. He's saying you can't be this and this at the same time because the purpose of Christianity, the purpose of salvation is what? He says in Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. The purpose of your salvation is so that you would begin to look like Jesus Christ. You would be conformed to him. We cannot be conformed to the world if we are going to be conformed to the image of his son because the world is against God. Can't have it both ways. We want to take it both ways as often as we can, but you can't have it both ways. Remember that offering our entire self to God is our true act of worship. We cannot be conforming to the world all week long and then show up to church on Sunday morning for 60 to 90 minutes of singing and fellowship and listening to the word and somehow call that worship. That's not true worship. That's not worshiping God. That makes us no different than those in, in the book of Isaiah when the Lord spoke of them when he said, because these people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. When we enter in on Sunday morning, and we sing songs that from memory or off the screen, and we sing with our mouths and our lips, but our hearts are far from him, that's not worshiping God. That is patronizing God. It's a big difference. We cannot be conformed to the world. And trust me, the world will tell you exactly how to conform to it, won't it? The world will tell you what to think, how to act, how to vote. The world will tell you what your attitude should be on every topic, even the topics you don't care about. In fact, if you are struggling today with conforming to the world, the first thing most of us should do is just cancel all social media and news outlets because they are helping us to conform to the world by telling us those things. The Bible talks about people like that that just kind of toss here and there with the waves of change. 
because we have no standard, no foundation of God and His Word and His will for our lives. We do not conform. Number three, be transformed. The two words are different. The word here is metamorphu. It's where we get our word metamorphosis, which is a great image of the change that takes place in a Christian. I mean, if you picture the caterpillar in love with the world, on the earth, can't get enough of it. And then one day there is a change to a butterfly with wings that fly into the sky. The butterfly never returns to being a caterpillar. Never. It is a complete change. Everything has changed. From that day forward, entire life is different. We are to love this world no more. And instead, we are to be transformed into a new creation, just like the butterfly. Paul says this transformation takes place by the renewal of your mind. Take note of the present tense used here for the word renewal. This is, means that Paul is, is, is thinking of a continuing renewal, a day-by-day renewal, that you wouldn't just decide at the day you receive salvation to say, okay, I'm a Christian, but then from day-by-day day after that, you would continue to renew your mind so that we will be able to discern what the will of God is. The more I renew my mind, the more I know who He is. This is what the Bible does for us. This is why we're always harping on you guys to read your Bibles. You get tired of hearing us say that? I don't know what else to say. Read your Bibles. Why? Because when you read the Bible, we get to know God and His Son, Jesus, who He sent. That's called salvation. John 17. Knowing God and His Son, who He sent. And we get to know them through His Word. And when we read, our minds are transformed. Our motives change. Our choices change. Because we begin to learn how God wants us to make decisions. How he wants us to act and react in certain situations. But only through his word. The other option is to just call it some sort of like emotional decision. You know, like, well, I just hopefully God will make me feel what the right thing is. And maybe he will. But he says here to redo your mind. Mind. Not just your your fuzzy emotions, whatever feels right or whatever. No, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know how he desires you to live. The renewal of your mind. Let me give you some examples of moving from conforming to being transformed. If we're not conforming to the world when it comes to our money, we will not act like the world when it comes to money. What does the world think about money? What's the end all be all, isn't it? I mean, is there anything else more important in the world than having a lot of money? I mean, that's the standard. But we know that people that have the most money in history, they're not always living a great life. They're not even always full of joy. Two of the richest men in the entire world both went through the divorce in the last couple of years. You would think that the richest people in the world would be able to figure out that. What about sex? What does the world think about sex? Whatever I want, however I want it, whenever I want it. It's just no rules, no standards, no, no guardrails, just whatever goes. But if I'm being transformed in my mind, renewing my mind daily, I'll consider those things based on God's word, his plan for our lives. I will see fit to make choices based on how he has designed things. Your worldview has to change. If you're conforming to the world, you will think that there's no objective truth. Whatever's true for you is true for you, but something else might be true for me. That maybe multiple gods all leave to heaven. That maybe 
Maybe this works over here, but that will also work, and some of this will work, and if I just kind of am good, then good people will go to heaven and bad people will go to hell. But if I'm transforming my mind, I know that, thank the Lord, bad people go to heaven every single day because not one of us is good enough to reach the standard, but because of Jesus Christ and the righteousness I received from him, I can go to heaven. That's all become renewing our minds through his word. And when our minds are transformed, we no longer think like the world. And why does he want us to do that? He says, so that you will be able to discern what God's will is. Isn't that the point that as we go into the world Monday through Saturday, not just here on Sunday, that we will be able to discern what God wants us to do? How to act, how to talk, how to think, how to believe, how to treat others? Absolutely. I love Douglas Moo says this. He says, God has not given Christians a set of detailed commandments to guide us. He has given us his Holy Spirit who is working to change our hearts and minds from within so that our obedience to God might be natural and spontaneous. I love that. Walking with God, knowing him more and more every day means my mind, my heart, my attitude, my life is changing so that when it comes to a decision to be made, I naturally decide to do what God's will is. I've already made the decision to lay my life, my entire life, to live it as an offering to God. So once I understand what God's will is, I don't have to have some sort of conversation in my head about whether or not I should obey it or not, should I? I've already made the decision to lay my life on the altar. So as soon as I can discern what His will is, then I get up and I do His will what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to read this last part of the verse. It's kind of hard to understand, but I want you to read it, that God's will is that thing in any specific situation that is good, acceptable, and perfect. His will in all situations is that thing that is good and acceptable and perfect. And knowing it, the transformed person will set out to do it. God's will will never go against God's word. God's will will never go against God's word. You see, as, as a human in the flesh, you might have an, a feeling to do something that feels right, but it might go against God's word. And because you call yourself a Christian, you might assume it must be God's will. I know God would want me to be happy. I know that God would want this. I know God wouldn't want me to have to struggle. And so we would make decisions rather than making decisions based off the renewal of our mind where we know what God's word has to say and it would affect then how we go out and live. So for the young people and also for the not so young people, how would you answer the question, what's next? You know, what school do we attend? What degree to get? What career to begin? What city we're going to live in? Who we're going to marry? What neighborhood? Whatever. All really big, important questions to answer, but the question I'm most interested in your answer to is this. Will you lay your life on the altar for God? Will you deny yourself? Will you pick up and carry your own cross? Will you voluntarily climb up on the altar like Isaac did and offer your entire life as a sacrifice to God? Because if the answer to those questions is yes, then I have this great feeling that the answer to all those other questions are going to take care of themselves because you have already decided to put him first and to tell God, this is, this is my life, it's a blank check, whatever you desire. He will teach you his will, and you will learn to obey it. We get to follow the example 
of Jesus who voluntarily allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. That altar where his ultimate sacrifice made it possible for us to receive God's mercies. And in light of all those mercies, this is how we ought to live. Amen. That act alone should compel us, should compel us to deny ourselves and lay our life on the altar for him as our true act of worship. I pray that that's what we will leave this place with today. We would leave as Christians who have already made the decision to lay our life, denying ourselves, no longer living for ourselves, but only living for him. No longer conforming to the world, but being transformed into people who are conforming to the image of God's only Son. Can we pray? Father, you are a big, good, gracious God. You are generous to us. You are merciful to us when we don't deserve it. Father, I pray that we would remember the day that we met you as the day that changed everything. And from this moment forward, we would make the decision to commit to laying our entire life on the altar a living sacrifice of worship to you. Transform our minds, Lord. Teach us your will so that we could be a part of bringing others into your kingdom. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus' example of what it looks like to deny yourself. Father, give us courage to live out that way. We thank you for all your blessings, Lord. Amen.